Well, can you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 3. It's on page 1065 if you're using uh, the Red Bibles. John chapter 3, and we're going to read and consider together the first 10 verses. So let's hear God's word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Amen. This is the word of the Lord. (coughs) You must be born again. Surely this would come under the bracket of being one of Jesus' hard sayings. To speak to somebody so religious, so upright, somebody so important in Jewish religious society and to say to him, you must be born again. Who does Jesus think he is? Is he being intolerant? Is he being judgmental? Or is he lovingly trying to show this man Nicodemus that he is on the wrong path? That he is trying to find God the wrong way. You must be born again. Jesus here is going to speak about the new birth in terms of radical heart surgery. He's going to say that that is what you and I need. Imagine, if you will, the following scenario. There is a man who is at home, And he is unwell because he has a bad heart and he's waiting for a heart transplant. And he's on the waiting list and he's constantly waiting and hoping for that phone call to come. And then the surgeon phones him up and says, there's an opening. We have a good heart. If you come in tomorrow for surgery, then we can get you all fixed up. He puts the phone down. He's overjoyed, obviously, And then 10 minutes later, another phone call from a hospital. This time, it's the Department of Cosmetic Surgery. 
And the surgeon says, oh, look, we've got a, we've got a special offer. Uh, we're trialing this new NHS thing. We can give you a facelift for free. It will take years off you. You'll look fabulous. You just need to come in tomorrow and get the surgery, and we can get it all sorted out. Which one would you choose? It's a ridiculous question, isn't it? One might make you look good. <laughs> it might not some of the plastic surgery disasters that we see. But it's not going to deal with the fundamental problem. You might look years younger. You may be able to look healthy on the outside, but the bad heart is still there. Whereas the other option is radical, obtrusive, uncomfortable surgery. But ultimately, that's what's going to give life. And you would think that the choice was obvious. You think, yeah, every time. It's the heart surgery, of course it is. But you know, in uh, the realm of Christianity and religion and faith, a lot of times, even as Christians perhaps, we settle for trying to make ourselves look a little bit better on the outside. We settle for becoming a little bit more moral, a little bit more presentable thinking that we'll be able to satisfy God if only we can keep the commandments and be a good neighbor and be a good citizen. Jesus has a conversation with a man whose whole background, his whole life was based around his ability to keep the law. And he says to this religious man, you must be born again. Why do we need to be born again? I think this passage answers the question. Look with me at verse 1, where we're introduced to Nicodemus. And we find out that he is a man of the Pharisees. So this is a guy who has memorized the whole Old Testament. This is a guy who's known in the community for being able to keep God's laws, who has established lots of other laws to make sure that the Ten Commandments remain unbroken, or so he thinks. He is also a member of the Jewish ruling council. He is part of the Sanhedrin. This is a man who has great religious standing. He is an important moral figure in his day. But there are signs in this passage that all is not well. Look with me at verse 2 to the point where he approaches Jesus and we get an interesting detail from John who wrote this gospel. He says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. When John uses this little extra bit of detail, when he talks about Nicodemus coming at night, this is an important spiritual background because night and darkness in John's gospel, are associated with spiritual darkness. So we discover when Judas is going to go out to betray Jesus after the Passover meal, we're told he went out and it was night. In other words, there was spiritual darkness around Judas. There is spiritual darkness around this religious leader, Nicodemus. And then if you turn over to the end of the section that we read... Jesus says to him, you are Israel's teacher and do you not understand 
these things. Despite all his learning, despite knowing his Old Testament inside out, this man lacks spiritual understanding. But he comes to Jesus with a certain amount of respect, we see. He calls Jesus a rabbi. Jesus hasn't had any formal teaching, and yet this man acknowledges Jesus is an authoritative teacher. And he says, well, you must be from God because I have seen the miraculous signs that you are doing. He recognizes that Jesus deserves a certain amount of respect. But all the while, there seems to be this subtext going on where Nicodemus comes and says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher. In other words, we, the religious elite, we, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrins, we have been watching you. We've been checking out your credentials. And you know, we've passed our judgment on you. And yeah, we think you must be from God. There must be some importance to you. And we, the religious elite, have decided that you're kind of okay. They think that they can pass judgment on Jesus, that they can stand over Jesus. Nicodemus thinks he understands how the kingdom of God works. He's in for a rude awakening. Because what does Jesus say to him? In verse 3, he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And Nicodemus, you're not in the kingdom. You can't even see the kingdom of God because you are not born again. The only way to be right with God is to be born again. If you want God's acceptance, Jesus is saying, you need a new heart. You need God to carry out heart surgery. That this religious life that Nicodemus had been living, it was like plastic surgery. He was looking very good on the, in, on the outside. He was esteemed in his community. But his heart was not right when it came to God. Nicodemus presumed that he was in. Of course he was in. He was a Jew. He was a leading Jew. He was a teacher of the law. Of course he was in. But Jesus blows his moral and religious certainty out of the water. Jesus says, we must be born again. Why? Well, he says it's the only way to see and to enter the kingdom of God. It's the only way to perfect, eternal life in heaven with God. There are certain things as people that we all hold in common, I think. It's not only Miss World that looks for world peace. We all want world peace. We all want to live in a world of justice and security. We all want a world where ourselves and our loved ones live without pain and without illness live without suffering. We all want a world where we are valued and we are loved. That is the kingdom of God. Jesus promised that he would come back a second time and he was going to recreate the heavens and the earth so that all God's people would live with him eternally in the world that we all want. That 
is the kingdom of God. How do we get there? Well, this is where Nicodemus and ourselves, we have a problem. Because we are spiritually dead, the Bible tells us. Because we have this sin problem within us. Because instead of our lives naturally being inclined towards God, we want to turn away from God. We are people who want to govern our own affairs and want God to mind his own business in and of ourselves. We are, the Bible tells us, by nature, objects of God's wrath. We are God's enemies because of this sin problem that lies deep within us. Why do we need to be born again? Because we have this amazing offer of the world that we all want, but in and of ourselves, we're never going to make the grade. Nicodemus is somebody who would have ticked all the boxes. But that was not enough. So if he was not qualified, what hope do you and I have? Jesus makes clear, you must be born again. He also answers the question, how are we born again? If it's important that we are born again, then we also need to know, well, how does it happen? Nicodemus is no fool, But he has real difficulties understanding what Jesus is talking about. In verse 4, we see the scorn. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Nicodemus is struggling to accept a position that puts him on the outside of God's kingdom. That puts him in the position of being a sinner needing a saviour. He finds that an incredible challenge to his pride. And is there anything new in that? Surely we are not surprised that Nicodemus struggles with this because we ourselves struggle with this. We all want to prove ourselves in life. It's a struggle to get something for nothing. So we want to show that we're worth it, whether it be uh, academically or whether it be in our work. We're constantly fighting to prove ourselves. And to be told that our best efforts aren't going to cut it is a real blow to our pride. Jesus is going to show there is only one way to be born again, and it's not by our own efforts. In verse 5, he explains further what it means to be born again. He says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Now remember that Nicodemus is a rabbi and Jesus has said to him, how come you don't get what I'm teaching? In other words, as Nicodemus thought about the Old Testament, he should have understood what Jesus was talking about. So what does it mean when Jesus says, you need to be born again, that to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born of water and the Spirit? Well, if you have a moment, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36 on page 868. This is possibly the clearest place in the Old Testament where these images that Jesus draws on of being born of water and the Spirit come together. Ezekiel chapter 36 on page 868 and verse 25. 
God says this about his people. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. So here's this image of water and water speaks of the need of cleansing from sin and unrighteousness and idolatry. All those things that we make more important than God, the Bible says are idols. Those things that we do that we're not supposed to do, that's sin. The things that we are supposed to do, we don't do them, that's also sin. And the water speaks of cleansing from this sin problem. And then in verse 26, it talks about the spirit. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The spirit here, being born of the spirit, talks about that inner transformation that you and I need. The new heart that God needs to give us. If we are going to be obedient to God... We need a new heart. That sometimes we get, we get things back to front. We think, if I'm really religious, then God will be pleased with me. Then God will accept me. But, but the reality of the Christian faith is that God in his grace accepts us. And it's only as we get that new heart that we then are able to obey Moving back again to John chapter 3. How can we be born again in this way? Verse 6 tells us it's a work of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. God, through His Holy Spirit, is the one who takes the initiative to give us this new life. And He makes that point in verses 7 and 8 with this allusion to the wind that just as the wind cannot be controlled or dictated to in the same way God takes the initiative in salvation he's not dictated to by us but in grace he chooses to come down Christianity is not a religion of morality and self-improvement it's about God taking the initiative to save us, about him sending his son to live the life that you and I couldn't live, to die the death for sin that you and I deserve. And then he sends the gift of the Holy Spirit into our lives. We are born again by an act of amazing grace on God's part. As God gives us a new spiritual nature, as he performs that heart surgery, so that then we have spiritual life it's through God that we receive the forgiveness and cleansing from sin that we need that's why Jesus came to take our sin to take the anger that was directed towards us to take that on himself so that we could become friends of God it's a sovereign act of God's spirit we cannot bring ourselves to spiritual life any more than my broken iPod cannot bring itself back to life it cannot bring itself to a point where its battery is working and its insides are working neither can we fix ourselves we need an expert to fix us up we need 
God to do radical heart surgery in our lives. That's why we need it. And that's how we can be born again. Finally and and generally, what does it mean to be born again? It's maybe a language that's familiar to us, but it contains certain connotations to be one of those born again people. Wasn't always and isn't always a positive thing, but what does it mean? Nicodemus, we leave him at this point struggling to understand the whole concept. We see him in verse 9 asking, how can this be? What is this new birth all about? I thought I had the answers. I thought it was all about keeping God's law and being highly religious. Jesus, this is a new and strange message and I don't quite compute what's going on. Well, there are three things that Jesus brings our attention to here concerning the new birth. The first is this. New birth is new life, not new religion. You see, Nicodemus, as we've already discovered, was highly religious and highly moral. And when he met with Jesus and they talked about the kingdom of God, Nicodemus wasn't told, keep on being moral, keep on being religious. He wasn't told, why don't you try a little bit harder? He was told that his religion, his morality, counted for nothing without the Holy Spirit, without a heart relationship with God. God does not want us to prove ourselves by our religious performance. Maybe you're here today and you've had the opinion that Christianity was all about being a good person. And maybe you've spent a lot of time and energy trying to be really religious in the hope that God will accept you. From Scripture, can I invite you to get off that treadmill that is getting you nowhere? Religion and moral performance is not what God is looking for. God is looking for a relationship with your heart. God is looking for a real relationship. And so he's not looking for us to be involved in more religion He's looking for us to give up ourselves and to receive the new life he has to offer. As Christians, sometimes we get this wrong as well, that we can forget that our identity is all from God's grace, that it's all about our relationship, a living relationship to Jesus. And we can think, well, so long as I keep coming to church and so long as I can try really hard to keep reading my Bible, then... You know, God's going to accept me on that basis. It's always on the basis of his grace and the new life that he gives. So new birth is new life, not new religion. Secondly, new birth is knowing Jesus, not just knowing about Jesus. Again, we see that Nicodemus knew plenty about Jesus. He knew that he was a rabbi. He knew that he was sent from God. He knew that he was performing miracles. And yet he was still nowhere near the kingdom of God. There is a very sobering parable that Jesus tells at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 on page 972. Matthew chapter 7. 
at verse 21. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying there will be people at the judgment day who have called themselves Christians, who aren't really Christians at all. And he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There are people who will know lots of facts about Jesus and about Christianity and who will know their Bibles and who will be doing good things and to everybody else will look like sure things for the kingdom of God. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Because that's the point. It's not about what we know in terms of fact. It's about who we know. It's about does do those Christian doctrines impact my life? It's not enough to say, yes, I believe the Bible is God's word. Yes, I believe Jesus is God's son, that he died for sin, that he rose again. Until you can say, Jesus is my savior. Jesus died for my sin. Jesus rose again for my salvation. Then you haven't got it. You may know all about Jesus, but until you have entered into that relationship, you do not have the new birth because you don't know him. It's about a relationship. Ask the living God for that relationship. Finally, new birth is a gift of God and not something we earn. Jesus is quite clear. The only answer to our spiritual death, to our spiritual rebellion, is a work of God in our hearts in what's called the new birth. You must be born again, Jesus says. To all of us, you must be born again. And the good news is that Jesus came to make that possible. The forgiveness that we need is available to us at the cross. The inner transformation that he spoke about is available to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let me just ask you, have you allowed God to do that radical work of heart surgery in your life through his grace and through his gospel? You must be born again. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you that while sometimes Jesus' words can seem hard, yet we trust them to be true. We know that he was full of love and so he lovingly confronts us where we're going in the wrong direction. For any here who maybe like Nicodemus have been thinking that being really religious and moral is the key to acceptance, may you open their eyes to see that that is not the way. 
may you cause them to see Jesus as the Savior that they need. May they turn to you for that surgery that would give them a new heart. For those of us who are Christians, may we find that our confidence is entirely in our relationship with Jesus and the finished work that he accomplished through his life, death and resurrection, that we would never trust in our own religious performance or in our ability to be good people. We thank you for this gift of new birth, this new life, this new hope, so that all of your people can look forward to the kingdom of God, to the world that we all want, to the world that you have prepared for us through your son Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of Solace, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.